Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast that is very in touch with its emotions. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And welcoming back to the podcast, we have Sarah here, our number one fan. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. Thanks for having Sarah, me again. <laughs> Sarah is canonically our number one fan. If you disagree with this and would like to dispute it, our emails are always open. You can find us at bestseatpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> nice plug, oh, nice plug. Thank you. I've got to, look, I've got to do like my job for this podcast every <laughs> once in a while, right? Pretend I like actually Sarah, have we... some function here besides like bad takes, apparently. <laughs> uh, well, Sarah, we have brought you here today to talk about the Disney animated film Inside Out. Directed by Pete Docter, the film premiered in May 2015 and follows joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear, the personified emotions of Riley, a young girl from Minnesota. Joy, determined to make sure that Riley has predominantly happy memories, acts as the leader as she tries to limit the amount of unhappy memories Riley has. But after moving to San Francisco, Riley struggles to be happy, even letting formerly happy memories become sad. After losing the core memories that make up Riley's personality and being ejected from headquarters, Joy, along with sadness, strive to return the memories back to Riley and make her herself again. The film was met with widespread critical acclaim, having a 98% ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and making $858 million on a $175 million budget. The film received positive reviews for its screenplay, plot, nuanced subject matter, and voice acting, and won Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards in 2015. And, as always, there will be spoilers. So I remember watching this film when it came out in theaters. I believe I was in college then, probably like freshman or sophomore year. Uh, came out in May, so probably just ending my freshman year in college. And I, I feel like I didn't know what to expect when I went into this film. I hadn't watched many of the trailers for it. I think the only promo I saw for it was a little like 30 second clip of joy being happy and sadness being sad and her like joy dragging sadness along the ground it made it seem like a very a very typical kids movie the way that trailer portrayed those two characters so I didn't really have much in the way of expectations to go in I, I can't remember if I saw it in our group of friends or if I saw it with uh, someone else but I do remember being blown away by this movie. Uh, it was not at all what I expected. I did not expect this film to portray emo the emotions of uh, a child like as well as it had. I felt myself empathizing with a lot of the things that happened on screen, not because I live in the Bay Area. Uh, oops, is that doxing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you uh, if you were listening to this podcast and you didn't know that many of us live in the Bay Area, then I don't know what to tell you. Also, Alex, you've doxed <laughs> me too, implicitly, so thank you. <laughs> well, if you don't know, then that means you're a new listener, so welcome. Yeah, actually, no, that's, uh, that's great. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for <laughs> tuning in. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember being uh, really impressed by the way they portrayed the emotions in this movie and also the, the story of uh, Joy's arc and Riley's character arc. And I don't know if I cried the first time I watched this, but I definitely cried on the rewatch when I rewatched this movie for uh, the podcast. Because I think the more that I get older and the more that I realize uh, I will, or maybe sometime in my future, I'll take care of a young person who's dealing with these very strange emotions, the more I realize that this film is a really good way to teach kids uh, and even adults about how to deal with their emotions and about emotional intelligence itself. And so I really appreciate the way this film tackles these subjects that you don't really see talked about a lot in 
uh, kids' films, especially not in the way that this film considers the range of emotions that kids can feel. And for that, I really, really like this film. I cannot recommend it enough. I think this is probably Pixar's greatest film, if not the top, like, three. Um, I really, I really have many good things to say about this film. But what about the rest of y'all? What are your first experiences with Inside Out? So, yeah, I also think I watched Inside Out. It was probably, like, the summer after uh, freshman year or something. Because I think it came out in June or something. <clears throat> and um, it was an interesting point in my experience with Pixar. Because, looking it up, before Inside Out, the three most previous films were Cars 2, Brave, and Monsters University. <laughs> and then the ones afterwards were the Good, the Good Dinosaur, Finding Dory, and Cars 3. And irregardless of the good dinosaur, which I think most people can agree is kind of bad, the other ones are like fine. I think obviously we talked about Brave on this on this um, podcast yep. before, and I thought that it was okay. But I think out of it, Inside Out comes out in like an interesting period of Pixar because it was kind of like on a quote unquote downturn. I think many people would see it as, um, and it like surprised a lot of people. I think also myself as well. Um, as Alex said, I think that I'm not necessarily sure like how accurate it is necessarily scientifically or even like intelligently of how emotions like are portrayed or are real. Like obviously this is it's it's kind of nebulous on how like people experience that kind of stuff. I think it's a little bit more subjective, but it ultimately was able to take that concept of haha, what if feelings have feelings? Which is like the joke that everyone makes about this film. Damn it. <laughs> I know, I know, Iris. I know Iris is going to mention Iris, it. Yeah, if, Iris if... was looking for that. <laughs> um, guy, why can't I have nice things, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and it makes a... One, it makes a narrative that... Oh, no. Are you about to say what uh -oh. I think you're about to say? It's Osmosis Jones. <laughs> oh, that's not that's, what I thought you were going to say. That's not what I thought you were going to say, and that's somehow even worse. I, <laughs> See, this is how you do Osmosis Jones correctly. What if Osmosis Jones had feelings? <laughs> um, yeah, basically, it's like you have internal, external things, right? So you are able to basically express subtext in a literal way and you do it at, like the movie just does it i i think it's brilliant um to make a movie about feelings that makes you feel feelings like i don't know how else to describe it but i think that it's masterfully constructed the last thing i'll say is dear listeners if you know me or have listened to this podcast before you know that i'm not a very crying person this is the most i've cried on this podcast <laughs> I have I cried wow. distinctly at five to five points in this movie. I noted Ooh. I noted every single time, and uh, it was a lot. And uh, yeah, that's this movie's great. Let the record show that Michael does indeed have a heart. Yeah. What if Michael had feelings? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I love this movie. I love this movie a lot. Uh, I, I cry every single time. I cried the first time I saw it. I cried the last time I saw it. Um, it's great. I think there's so much intelligence that went into the, not just the crafting of both of these sort of arcs, you know, joy and sadnesses, adventure through, you know, Riley's inner brain and Riley's like struggle with her new life and running away and coming to terms with the changes in her life. I think there's so much intelligence in how the one informs the other, right? The way that these, like, honestly, in many points, like humorous and sort of like, uh, like bouncy house-esque kind of uh, trials and pitfalls that, you know, Joy and Sadness are navigating through, which, you know, get realer the further on we go you know bing bong dissolving into nothingness for all eternity it's kind of hard uh but you know these 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 kind of goofy sort of you know like oh we need to get past the you know there's the vacuum tubes and there's the train and there's the oh it's riley's you know dreams of her the teenage boys and right all this stuff how that metaphorizes to riley's like her very real 
struggles. And I, I think it's I think it's fantastic that, you know, even though it wouldn't be very interesting, Riley's narrative can stand on its own without any of the emotions showing up. Riley's arc makes sense and it tracks and it's got a solid through line and there's something there. It's light. It's not the point of the movie, but it is an incredibly, like, integrous, I guess I'll say, part of the plot. And I just think there's so much thought and care put into how these two different sort of arcs are informing or the one informing the other, right? You know, every little moment, it's like, oh, these are the rules that we've established for how these little tiny emotion, you know, people piloting Riley from behind her eyeballs, like, this is how they work. And then suddenly, oh, shit, this is the real, like, how her mind is working, you know? Um, And as you say, Alex, it's a fantastic tool for metaphorizing folks, you know, learning about emotions, learning about how to deal with them and, like, what's going on and the importance of feeling your feelings, the importance of allowing yourself to be sad. You know, the, the honestly, one of the greatest messages of this movie is that sadness is healthy and important and protects us, you know? Um, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. I love the movie. I love that Phyllis from The Office is one of the major voice actors. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great all around. Yeah, so uh, those were a lot of really good points, Iris, and I think that the 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 point that you made about sadness being extremely important to the narrative of the story as a whole is exactly what kind of makes it like the. I think that's the magic essentially that makes it so good for kids as well as adults because you know kids don't like to be sad. Riley is attempted to be portrayed uh, as somebody that's like constantly happy or like has only happy memories so that they like apparently they can live as an adult as an only happy individual which by the way confirmed as an adult myself that is not the reality so (laughs) um, hot take this movie introduces the idea of toxic positivity um uh i guess the 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 surprise to some of you is that this uh most recent rewatch or this watch that i had a couple of days ago or rather a week ago uh was the first time i ever watched this movie um, what? Uh, so uh, we graduate again. Doxing. Uh, we graduated high school in 2014. This movie came out in 2015. And uh, upon moving to college, I no longer had an excuse to go watch movies because I didn't have any friends by that point in college. No. Sag. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's only kind of a joke. But like, I was already kind of on like foot out the door with Disney and Pixar movies, and uh, Inside Out just happened to be kind of the first one that came out of that uh, post high school life. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I missed it. And I heard it was very good. And I guess I just never found it, uh, found an excuse to really go back and watch it until, uh, lo and behold, this podcast gives me a, uh, an excuse to watch a lot of different things. So, uh, but I am, I'm glad I did. Uh, I did cry, uh, at the end, which, uh, similar to Michael, I'm not usually a big crier, although, or never mind, I'm not going to say that. Um, there's, <laughs> there's, uh, there, there is something very special about this movie. I think that it's, uh, I can't. I think Michael, you mentioned this. It, it definitely surprises you. It doesn't necessarily feel like. At least my impression of it was that it was going to follow a more traditional formula. I guess like, not necessarily saying that all Pixar movies kind of follow the same formula, but there is sort of a more general children's movie formula um, that you know maybe focuses on a particular struggle or you know puts a lot of the focus on an antagonist versus a protagonist kind of dynamic. And this movie has neither of those. Uh, it's more like just a journey, and it's a journey of discovery, a journey of like, you know, self-loving, self-respect, and I think that's very mature for a children's movie, and also very mature for a movie of its time. So, yeah, really impressed with this movie overall. That and that is a great, great point, and I just want to like repeat it, you know, for for you know, see it again for those in the back. This movie has no antagonist. This movie has no bad guy, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely love this film. It is probably tied up there with Toy Story as an all-time favorite Pixar movie of mine. And there are so many great ones to choose from. So it's, you know, that's hard to pick. But I just love how detailed this world is and how thoughtfully crafted it was. You can really tell that they put so much care and attention into creating this film. and 
it's just so clever. I think that's my favorite part about it is, you know, all the little details and all the kind of jokes about the human brain, you know, like the dream productions or dreams are made and, you know, train of thought. Those are all just fun, whimsical elements of the story. And something that they do also so well is visually represent something as intangible as emotions. They you know, it's not only just a beautiful world that they create, but they create characters that just feel like relatable characters, even though they're emotions in a human brain. And something I really got in this rewatch was how we can look at memories differently when we're in a different space in the present. And that's best represented when Riley's trying to you know, share a positive, a joyful memory and sadness overtakes it. And it's such a heartbreaking scene. And maybe I'm getting into a little bit of, you know, favorite scenes here, but it's such a relatable experience. And I think the older you get, the more you understand that experience, you know, maybe you were mad about something and now you laugh about it. But I think they are so thoughtful about representing those kinds of things. Yeah, the production history of this show, I don't know if we'll have a chance to talk about it, but it's really interesting uh, how Pete Doctor went on his own sort of character arc while trying to figure out what this film was going to be. And I guess I'll talk a little bit briefly about it. But originally, they were planning to have Joy team up with Fear instead of Sadness. Uh, and when they realized that wasn't going to work, uh, just in the dynamic that they had and the message they were trying to tell one another, Pete Doctor eventually drew on his own experiences with his uh, young daughter and uh, realized that sadness was the key to this film, uh, both the emotion and the character. Uh, And speaking of characters, why don't we talk about our favorite characters and moments for this film? Uh, I will start off first because I want to snipe my favorite moment uh, in this film, but I'll start off with my favorite character. You've been doing that a lot recently, just being like, (laughs) I'm going to go first and say my favorite before any of you can do it. Hey, hey. He has host privileges. The last, it is host privileges, and the last episode, the Kirby episode, I let you all go before me. So it's not every time. Um, but I think my favorite character, uh, I think it is Riley, uh, Riley the kid, uh, just because of the way that she is portrayed in this movie. And like you said, Sarah, the, the really relatable moments that you have with her, that you've experienced the same kind of emotions as a kid and seeing that be portrayed through her mannerisms as well as the way that everything is going on behind the scenes. And we mentioned that there is no antagonist in this film. The conflict comes, well, at least externally between Riley and the life that she left behind versus the life that she now finds herself in. Internally, there's a whole other character dynamic and character arc going on. But externally, it is a story, it is a family story. A story about a family that uh, doesn't realize the emotions that their daughter is going through, that uh, at the beginning sort of not, not trivializes, but doesn't really figure out why Riley is is hurting the way she is. Uh, Her dad tries to help, of course, by checking in with her. Her mom tries to help her as well by getting her to uh, do hockey, the things that she liked beforehand in Minnesota. Whereas Riley has a, uh, is not up for any of that right now. And the way that it's portrayed in combination with the internal arc is, I think, just masterfully done. And, in a way that is uh, relatable to anybody who's gone through a phase, a big life change, a move, uh, could be change of schools, pretty much anything that would bring about these emotions we've had in our childhoods. And it's something that we can relate to. Now for my favorite moment. Um, this one was, I, th- I think this is the first moment where we see the value of sadness. 
Um, it's when it's when uh, Bing Bong. I, that, that's his name, right? Bing yes. Bong. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's when He's Bing your Bong. Your friend that likes to play, Alex. Come on. <laughs> it's when he loses his rocket ship. It gets like dumped into the uh, the memory loss hole. I forget what it's called. <laughs> the memory loss hole. <laughs> um, and he is sitting on the edge of the chasm, like uh, looking over and realizing what he's lost. And we see both joy and sadness. Wanting their goal is to get back to the uh, get back to headquarters, and Bing Bong is the key to get there and joy tries to get him to move by being excessively positive like trying to tickle him uh trying to make a funny face uh, trying to get his spirits up which doesn't work obviously if you're dealing with somebody who's sad the last thing they want to be is happy in that moment last thing they want or deal with a happy person at least uh and then we have a chance to see how sadness interacts with bing bong she literally set sits down on his level to empathize with him and to talk to him uh, i think she says like uh that rocket must have meant a lot to you it must be really sad that it's gone now and just the change of language the way that sadness interacts with bing bong uh, again goes back to that emotional intelligence um goes back to that emotional intelligence part of the film that I was talking about and really shows the way that empathy and sadness can help and heal in a way that joy cannot. Obviously, joy goes on to continue to shun sadness uh, after this moment, but it is the first moment that we see this value placed on sadness. And it was one of the moments where I teared up and cried <laughs> over a wagon. Um, but yeah, I really, I think of all the moments where we see the value of sadness, this one is the most plain and the most applicable that we can see it happen in our day-to-day -day lives, how we can sit down with someone and empathize with them uh, to connect with them rather than, trying to be positive all the time. Uh, before I share my favorite moments and characters, I just had a realization, uh, all this talk about emotional intelligence, because um, <clears throat> you're right in a sense on how this movie expresses it. But also, I think sadness is the smartest emotion in Riley. I don't know if y'all got that, but like, you know, she memorized the in all of the logbooks or the, 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 the tech books, the tech manuals, oh, yeah. right? And it's, I, I just thought of it as like, are they trying to, like, are they saying like part of being emotionally intelligent is to have sadness actually do something? I think that's actually like, I think that's part of it. Um, as opposed to Joy's like naivete, you know, on, on, uh, toxic positivity, as I was saying. Um, <laughs> I, I, will, anyway, I, will, I, I will, I will just point out, I did not invent that. I'm pretty sure I took yeah. that from like a Twitter post I saw, yeah. like in, in the ether of my memory, in my memory hole, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, regardless, regardless, I think it's a it's a it's a cool uh, a cool thing they did. Um, okay, first I'll start with favorite character because I also think that Riley is my favorite character mainly just because all five emotions comprise Riley, so therefore I can get away with saying that she's my favorite character because it's all five of them. <laughs> Easy, um, but precisely, and this is not as this is not like a uh, uh, because it's like what Alex said. It's just because he makes me laugh the most. It's fucking anger. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny. Louis Black as anger is so funny. Oh my god. Like, my dad would love this. He loves Louis Black. And he, he like, anger is exactly what Louis Black is. I don't know how they did it. They just got Louis Black to play himself. And he's just all anger. It's great. As for favorite moment, it will have to be Number one on Michael Cries, and that is the first time, or the first uh, core memory island, I forgot what the technical term is, the goofball island, mm -hmm. um, when that one crashes down, because, God, so, at this point in the movie, all the islands are shut down, all the core memories are gone with joy and sadness, and 
in the real life, right, this is represented by, like, a kind of depression that Riley is going under. That, like, nothing in her life that she knows, like, that makes her herself, makes her herself anymore. And so, when her parents try to, like, you know, get the goofball out, and it's shut down, like, it's, it is extremely so relatable on how something that used to make you feel one way is like just completely gone and that was michael cries number one because i'm like oh god it happens to me oh no <laughs> i used to find joy in so many things and now i don't oh, um, <laughs> on this episode best seat on the couch talks about the crushing <laughs> despair of adulthood uh, yes um and so yeah, that was number one. I'll get to the other four in a, in, later on, but uh, those are my favorite things. Um, I'm gonna before I say my favorite character, favorite moment, very briefly point out. I think that you know what you were saying, Michael, about like oh, you know, sadness is uh, like helpful, and you need sadness to be emotionally healthy. Like, not only do I like think that that is what they were saying, I think that is like very explicitly the message of this film. Oh, of course, right, I'm, I'm right. saying. The linking that with the, her being smart as able, you know, her able to memorize all that stuff. I think that's what I was trying to get. Like, is that leaning into that angle? Which I think yeah. it is. Um, so here's here's my my aggressive take. It's not a hot take. It's an aggressive take. I think that saying Riley is your favorite character is a little bit of a cop out. Exactly. Because, <laughs> because here's the thing. Like, she's the, the whole, her whole arc. The whole thing is just to be relatable. Right. And to be yeah. the sort of uh, the... The, she is the shadows on the wall of Plato's cave, right? You know, <laughs> back to Plato's cave we go. <laughs> <laughs> she is the sort of like uh, playing out of like the the more complicated reality of the the narrative, right? She's just like the 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 reflection of all that playing out, and you know, it's like she's great, and we care a lot about her, but that's because she's written explicitly for us to care a lot about her. There's no bravery in saying that she's your favorite character. Saying that sadness is your favorite character, on the other hand, that's a take. Oh, there we go. And I think it really is because... I think so much for me, I guess, of what I love about this movie is how the the meaning unfolds as you look back on it after finishing it or as you watch it again after having seen it you know how much becomes so much more meaningful in retrospect and just about everything sadness does is about in retrospect because you know, the first time you watch this movie is like oh like you sort of take joy's side uh implicitly it's like oh what's she doing here she's just making riley sad she's fucking up the memories she's a downer you know and like yes that's her persona you know there's not much to like immediately love about her but she's got so much more to her right this intelligence that we were talking about michael this caring that she shows to bing bong right like the whole movie is essentially this this exploration of why and how sadness is an important and healthy thing and I think the the character herself, you know, just just unfolds in in like once you come to accept the premise that this movie is stating. Uh, as for favorite scene, uh, the obvious the obvious ones are the big two uh, for me. The big two crying moments, although there are a lot of them. Uh, the big two crying moments were for me, uh, one, at the end of the movie, when the control panel just goes black and non-responsive, and it's like a real serious like depression, and she's getting on the bus, and there's this, this feeling of helplessness, like, oh god, you know, mm -hmm. poor child, do not do this to yourself, you know, like, it's gonna be okay, but no, it's not, because she's out of control, and she's completely cut off from her emotions, and completely, like, not thinking anything through. And then, of course, the very obvious, like, emotional high of the movie is the catharsis, where, you know, she's back with her parents, and sadness uh, is getting to the be at the control panel for the first time ever. And those, I think, are very, like, they're very, like, you know, uh, as, as stated, like, what's on the tin, sort of, like, why these moments are important. The moment I want to talk about is right at the beginning of the movie, and it's in the same vein, this, this, this moment that kind of unfolds itself the more you think about it. And this is the moment I find myself, like, dwelling on the most um, recently is uh, the very beginning of the movie when Joy is sort of giving the lowdown. is like, here's all the different emotions, and this is disgust, and she keeps Riley safe, and this is... Uh, you know, fear, and he's a little too cautious, but, like, whatever. And then she gets to sadness, and she's like, I don't really know 
what sadness does. I don't know what sad the purpose of having sadness around is, and it's all these. You know, you know, like smash cut of Riley crying, Riley throwing a temper tantrum, Riley wailing, like all this stuff, uh, all these moments of Riley being sad, and it's just like in retrospect, I mean that's I mean that really is it. That's the premise of the movie, right? Is like what is the purpose of sadness? Why do people get sad? Why is it important for people to have sadness as an emotion? And this whole movie is such a detailed and loving like exploration of the answer to that question that in retrospect, that scene is like, look at all these times where sadness did something for Riley. Look at all these times where sadness was important to help her protect herself, to help her, to let her ask for help, to let her express, you know, the, the, the negative feeling inside her, to give herself an outlet for all this stuff. Like that scene is sort of, it's the question. It's the sort of thesis of this movie, right? It's like in this in this video essay, in this ninety minute, you know, professionally <laughs> animated, uh, you know, Pixar video essay, I will explain why is sadness important. So that's I don't know. That's the one that really just gets my brain going, gets me gets me dwelling on the intricacies of this movie. I think one of my favorite scenes is actually kind of an in between scene towards the beginning of the film, where they show the memories being moved from headquarters to long-term storage it's just such an interesting visual representation of that process and really shows us how this world works i just love the you know the that memories are glowing orbs and all the mechanisms used to take them down to long-term storage it's just visually beautiful to me um in terms of favorite character that's a hard one um i think i will have to go with bing bong just because on this rewatch, I really appreciated how much his character brought to the overall storyline. He has such an interesting existential journey of his own, where he's really questioning his relationship with Riley and what he means to her. And, you know, at first, Joy is so thrilled to meet him because he's another really positive person, uh, unlike Sadness. (laughs) But I think as their journey goes on, she kind of realizes she can end up like Bing Bong and be potentially forgotten because, you know, Riley has outgrown him and, you know, Joy kind of panics and really has to get back to headquarters to not be forgotten by Riley. And ultimately, obviously, at the end, Joy is an essential part of Riley's life, but you know, it's, she realizes that's a real possibility and that really perpetuates their story forward in that, that sense of urgency. Um, and another favorite scene actually involves Bing Bong as well. Um, it's the wagon scene where they, uh, him and Joy are trying to get back up to the cliffs of long-term memory and ultimately back to headquarters. But they realize, you know, that they're having trouble getting back up there and the kindness that Bing Bong shows to Joy when he realizes, you know, what he needs to do and um, that he does it out of love and loyalty and the betterment of Riley is makes me weep <laughs> every single time I watch it. And it is so heart-wrenching. I don't know how an imaginary character that's made of cotton candy and is part dolphin can do that to you, but it really gets me every single time and is just so beautiful. Um, and I have to give a quick shout out to um, Fear because I just find his, I just found his jokes really pretty funny um and he had some really good quips in there that i appreciated so i'll I'll give him you know secondary favorite character yeah i I really like um fear fear kind of has his one and only moment in this movie during the dream sequence where he's like watching the dream and he's like all right really you guys literally couldn't do anything better than this i have seen this millions of like that is how like done he is with this whole like He's basically like a security guard on a night shift where like he doesn't want to be there and he has no reason to be there, but he has to be there anyway. But in any case, um, I, I, I want to give us a shout out, I guess, to the animators. This is really doesn't even qualify as a favorite moment, but San Francisco is very accurate in this movie. Yeah, it is it like is. Yep, it is very accurate. And like um, 
It's I mean it's, I mean like it's it's this is where Pixar do be, you know. Right, right. <laughs> like I, I get it, but and, and and to be fair, like you can't really compare this to Big Hero Six because that is San Francisco. It's a different it's city. Completely technically. different city, you know, not even related. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Something about the way that it was done. I don't want to call it hyper-realistic because it's not really hyper-realistic, but it's real. it was realistic enough to make me be like, you know, they didn't necessarily have to do that. Like, there's a couple of landmarks you could just throw around San Francisco and be like, this is San Francisco, you're just going to have to accept that for what it is. But they were like, nah, I am going to go right fucking down Columbus. I'm going to let you see the trolley. I'm going to let you see this fucking pizza place whoa, that may not exist. Whoa, 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 <laughs> back up. Did you just call it a trolley? In the middle of a rant about how, like, accurate to your San Francisco native roots it <laughs> okay. is, you call a cable okay. car a trolley? Okay. Wait a minute here. Trolley is not an incorrect way to describe trolley, that. Trolley, you thing. do not call them trolleys. It's oh, not. That is like, that is like Iris Towner sin number one. You Iris, do not call be, them trolleys. Please, you don't have to crucify me for literally everything I say on this podcast, okay? <laughs> I, I'm... This is like I am not even kidding. Where I'm saying this is something that was like, I was this was drilled into me at a young age. I am not even joking. You can ask any of my siblings. Do not call them trolleys. Well, it's like the number one thing. Very glad that I wasn't subject to that drilling. I guess. In any case, I'll stop talking about the cable cars <laughs> and, and move on to my favorite scene, which is uh, Riley getting on the bus and essentially losing control. Because I think that there's. Um, I don't know how depressed you guys were as his kids. I'm not trying to say I was depressed as a kid either. But <laughs> there, what a there, question. There, there, is, there is an inkling of when you're a kid and you don't have the ability to comprehend consequences or think about, you know, the future, you know, ramifications of your actions, but you have set yourself, essentially, on doing something that is going, that you know, as a child has like is very like has very large kind of consequences like th this is not it's not it doesn't have to necessarily be i'm gonna run away from home but you say you're saying like i am mad at something or someone maybe it's myself i am going to do this thing i do not care what happens to myself or anyone that i care about when i do this thing i feel like most kids maybe have experienced thinking about something like that and i think this movie portrays that that you know that sequence of events that leads to riley doing that very very well and it's scary and it's portrayed to be scary for that very reason it's it's supposed to show you that as iris said she literally lost control the the control panel in her head no longer works she is going out and doing this thing and she she, I'm not even sure she thinks that it's the right thing to do, but she has to do it because she feels like if she doesn't, she's going to be trapped in this in this uh, in this existence of misery in San Francisco because she can't find happiness in her life anymore. So, I don't know that entire sequence of and you know shout out to the bus driver. To be completely honest, if you if this was real life, that bus driver would be like, "Fuck off, kid! We ain't, yeah. we ain't fucking stopping this <laughs> I'm bus." Getting off the way on stop. the on ramp. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was on the on. He's getting on the highway. Like, damn. That's the Bay Lord Ridge knows on, I have accidentally gotten on on, on favorite character bus driver. Like, <laughs> like Lord knows, like getting getting on like 101 or the Bay Bridge when you're not intending to is so easy yeah. in certain areas. So like. Anyway, sorry. That's called traffic, too. You, I mean, you imagine how angry those fucking guys behind that bus were. Like, oh, my that's God. The, that's the fucking Bay Bridge on-ramp, bro, in any case. Well, okay, I mean, at a certain point, though, if you're getting on the Bay Bridge on-ramp, you've already signed up for, like, 90 minutes of agony. You're probably right, yeah. You know, it's a good thing I can't relate to being trapped in a miserable existence in San Francisco, you know? <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I'm just going to leave an awkward <laughs> silence here for a couple seconds, and then we're going to... Go ahead and hand it back to Alex. Sorry, I had you know what Alex oh, wait. likes too much. You can edit this out in post. <laughs> I, I did forget uh, my favorite character. I am gonna name Joy just because I think that um, you know um, someone this, should. Yeah, someone should, and I you know obviously I don't want to take away from Sadness's character, but the dichotomy that just Joy and Sadness have can't really be done if Joy is not as strong of a character as Sadness is. You know, Iris, as you mentioned in the beginning of the of the movie, like uh, Joy's complete misunderstanding of Sadness's purpose in Riley's head is what gives her a convincing kind of character development because, like, she needs to essentially learn, you know, 
I am literally here to be happy all the time, and yet there is this person here that is fundamentally obje like objected to everything I want to do in my existence. Why do I need to have her here? And eventually she comes around and, you know, learns that, you know, sometimes you need to be sad to get back to being happy. Sometimes you need to be happy. Uh, it, or sometimes you need to remember, like, remember happy things and realize that, you know, Sarah, as you mentioned, these memories maybe were sad. Or, you know, the happiness was used to mask the sadness of them when you were a kid because you were, you know, kind of conditioned to just being happy. That's what you were told to be as a kid. Joy is a di is a greedy algorithm, and sadness is a dynamic programming solution. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah, imagine... No like, one understands that reference, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, like, imagine being forced by your very nature to, like, constantly coexist and, like, have to get along with your, like, ideological opposite. Couldn't be me. Iris, Shout out to Andrew, this, I love you. Is this a cry for help? <laughs> <laughs> this is me poking fun at my twin. This I hope is, you're listening. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it seems appropriate that this episode of Best Seat on the Couch, where we talk about emotions, eventually will turn into a therapy session, and I suppose we are here for it. Um, none but, of you, none, none of you can afford my therapy sessions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thank you, Marcus, for providing me the segue to Joy, because I do want to talk a little bit more about Joy as a character, because it. It's a really interesting way the the writers of this show have constructed the way this narrative played out. Because from the very beginning, I think someone mentioned this, we are from the viewpoint of joy. And we somehow have to get to empathizing with sadness or realizing sadness is important. But along that journey, there are a couple things that need to happen. One... We have to relate to Joy. We have to be on Joy's side, at least at the very beginning. Like, thinking that sadness is annoying, for example. Wondering why sadness is there. And the way that they let us empathize with Joy's kind of mission to try and get Riley to be always happy without making us realize that that's not what Riley needs right now especially when she's dealing with her own emotions, uh, is really is really subtle. And I think it's really well done. Uh, just at the very beginning, after the intro is done with uh, Joy giving the lowdown on all the different things that are happening in the mind, we have a really quiet moment with Joy and Riley. Um, I think Joy is replaying a memory of Riley ice skating. And Joy is ice skating along with her as well. And just in that one scene, we see that Joy like really cares for Riley. She really wants the best for her. Uh, and that makes us realize that we, we want the best for Riley as well. Uh, but we haven't figured out the way... Uh, we haven't gone on the journey with Joy to figuring out that sadness is the, the key to eventually leading... Uh, Riley to be happy again and just that entire arc Joy's arc is such an interesting one because of course she can be seen as toxic uh, having a lot of toxic positivity she can be seen herself as annoying but we never really are against her at least in my opinion we're never really against her we we want the same things as Joy and just those simple ways that the writers and showrunners have constructed this arc is, I think, uh, one of the, the best things about this film. Just how we can be on Joy's side while also being on Sadness's side as well. Uh, and then coming to realize that both are needed through the course of this movie. Yeah, I mean, to borrow the language of... Uh... I actually can't remember where this is from, but it's a famous turn of phrase, I assume. How shall we describe Joy? You know, I think at the end of the day, Joy's whole thing, she is well-intentioned, but kind of narrow-minded and stubborn in her ways, right? Like, she's got her method, right? Because at the end of the day, right, all of these, all of these emotions are there for Riley's sake, Right. You know, and even even, you know, the scene I mentioned earlier, it's framed as like their usefulness, what they're there to do, what their purpose is in order for Riley's like overall well-being. And Joy, I think, 
is probably the most like just evident you know makes her happy makes her feel good that's you know what what people people need it's good for her and i think it's it's very you know like joy as a character is like gets caught up in this look i'm the important one i'm the one who like is very obvious and the rest of you are useful but i'm like she considered herself a cut above the rest she considered herself like more important than the others closer to riley as an individual you know like more directly responsible for her overall well-being you know so I guess if you were to go inside Joy's head, which of course like invites this whole question of like just how how deep the rabbit hole goes, you know, it's 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 emotions all the way down. Um, but if you were to go inside Joy's head, I'm pretty sure you'd find a little mini pride being one of the uh, one of the head emotions. Um, but she means well is the thing, and that's why we are on her side. Right. It's because she tells the story and she really genuinely does want what's best for Riley. And her failure is not, you know, like I'm the like, you know, like it has to be only me because she does allow the other emotions their time to shine. But her failure is not understanding sadness and not trying to understand sadness. And it takes this, you know, like the this metaphorized version of a psychotic break for her to like allow sadness its time um, I, 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 I like Joy as a character. I think Joy is, like, relatable enough and, 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 like, does a, does a, is a good way, a good place to put the, the lens, the camera, if you will. So, I don't know. I, I, I think positively of Joy, generally. Just to get further down the rabbit hole of emotions, having emotions, <laughs> when Joy is in that memory dump of obscurity or whatever it's called, uh, she's clutching a memory and she's crying. And that's obviously the first time we see her cry and experience the emotion of sadness. And therefore she can understand the character of sadness and empathize with her and come to appreciate her towards the end of the film. I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but we'll see. I actually think that the way that I personally see this film, and may, maybe perhaps others, I think at least at the beginning of the film, Riley is Joy, and also the other way around. To me, the 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 image or the 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 scene in which Joy expresses her own sort of happiness with the whole ice skating rink thing, is her Joy also trying to recall what brings her and riley joy god what the what, what what was the sentence that i just said um <laughs> it's emotions all the way down it's, it's all it's, yeah it's it like, is because the whole thing is like if feelings have feelings then like do their feelings have feelings like yes it's crazy and and notably i think this is represented by the fact that at the beginning of the movie not the beginning but you know um all of riley's core memories are joyful um they're all tinted yellow right and only later on do we see that her core memories and indeed her general memories become multicolored, not mostly joyful, but like joy and sadness or joy and anger or like disgust and fear and stuff like that. And like, I think that what this movie in part is using joy as a character is showing is that like the way that they make it is that literally Riley is only born with joy at the very beginning. So she is Riley. But as you mature and grow older and become more more emotionally intelligent, you are represented more than just one emotion like joy. You're represented by the whole collective. And so it becomes that it, it means that Riley at first being joy becomes all of the emotions as well. And I think that's how I see joy fitting into all this. Yeah, I, that one point you made about how we are more or rather is more than one emotion. I think, I think the ending was actually very kind of apt in displaying that, you know, now they have the ability to kind of blend emotions and have, you know, memories that are both joyful and sad or the ability to input both fearful and disgust. Like that is a very important part of growing older and also a very important part of growing as a person. So that was a really good, good way to show that. I agree. The conclusion of this movie really was just like, you can be two things. <laughs> yeah, and so um, 
I think it was really impactful when Joy finally experiences sadness for herself when she's in the memory dump <laughs> or whatever we call it. Um, and I think she can really, that she's actually experiencing sadness, which she probably has, hasn't done before. Um, she can really understand sadness as the character, very meta, but <laughs> um, I thought that was an interesting progression of that whole storyline in their relationship. Yeah. She, she sat down and empathized with sadness herself. Uh, and yes, to finish off this uh, episode, I do want to talk a little bit about the representation of Riley's mind. Because we've been hinting at it throughout this episode, like talking about some of the cool things, like sending the memories down to long term. But we haven't really dived into the different uh, sort of facets and the different expressions and the way that the writers portrayed uh, Riley's mind working. And I do want to real quickly talk about that. First off, by mentioning, I think the funniest joke in this movie is the uh, the gum commercial joke. Yes. <laughs> when, oh, my God. When so they good. send it back up to headquarters for no reason at all. And the little, like, memory jelly beans are like, what is it? We'll, uh, we'll forget uh, piano lessons and uh, how to tie your shoe left-handed or whatever. Uh, what about this one? Oh, we're never going to throw away this one. Sometimes we set it up just because. Uh, and it's, I mean, we've all re- remembered that really catchy theme song in like during a test or during work uh, in the least convenient time. And I think that just them including that joke and having it be such a universal experience is genius to me. I can I can flawlessly remember the telephone number from our fucking vacuum cleaner commercial from 15 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> On the spot. I could sing you the jingle. Call 1-800-STEAMER. Stanley Steamer is your home cleaner. <laughs> I was... Uh, or actually, maybe this wasn't vacuum cleaners, but it was like it was like eight hundred five eight eight two three hundred empire, empire. today. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You're welcome, empire. You give us money. We put oh, your Shane, commercial in our podcast. Open weekdays till eight, Saturdays oh, and Sundays till nine. Online. Remember, your best buys are always at Fry's. Guys, we're not getting paid for this. All right. But yeah, what do y'all think about the inner workings of the mind and how they betrayed it? Okay. I have a hot take. Oh, here it is. Here it is. It, it, it's like poetry. It, it's it's Sanderson's rule. It... There you go. Sanderson's <laughs> fourth rule of, of Final oh, poetry. Final Fantasy. What the fuck? <laughs> hey, whatever. Um, I think most, most, and that's the important word, most, of Riley's brainscape, mindscape, if you will, is fantastic. The long-term memory the the forgetting memories and like the dark pit whatever train of thought i think is great um i think some of it very much is oh we gotta put it in here right namely abstract thought yes (laughs) um Mm. it's kind of just there for the goofs which is like you know it's fine you can have goofs but in, like, a very, like, deep story, it kind of feels weird. We're like, oh, no, we're becoming flat. We're going to... Th-, and then they just walk out. So it, it feels very much like we got to... We're, like, in the Phantom Toll booth. We got to go through this part of the road to get to the next place. Y'all remember um, Flat Stanley? Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, um, <laughs> that being said, I love how they portray the memories specifically. Um, the... The as, as Alex, I think they're actually called forgetters. I have my notes up here, which is hilarious. <laughs> the little bean people. Yeah. Um. It's so funny, and then they go to fucking like, it's it's not it's it's um, it it looks like Universal Studios lot. I I don't know where it is. Uh, it's like somewhere in Hollywood, but like the dream area is like this looks exactly like how it should be. I love how the directors are like, all right, we got a lot of things that happened today. Do the thing, do the thing. And it's all really bad acting, which is like perfect. Um, And yeah, coming back around to the beginning of this episode, this is how Osmosis Jones should have been. (laughs) I swear to God, Michael. (laughs) Like, 
That coupled with, and Iris, you even made this reference in the Osmosis Jones podcast episode. But when they go into her mom's and dad's brains, perfect. It's like, oh my god, it's so good. Like, oh jeez, it's, it's well, I there's love, a lot of details there. I love how much they communicate with how little. Like, there's been entire like, like, uh, like pieces written about how you know, like the fact that um, I think her dad's mind is uh, commanded by anger, and yes. her mom's <laughs> mind is commanded by I think it was fear, sadness, sadness. sadness. Was yeah, sad. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just like how much information you get from that, right? And I think it, I think it really speaks to the. The, the the robustness of the metaphor they put a lot of thought into it they put a lot of time into like and i mean and like if you if you go back and like read some of the stories of like the making of this movie they did a lot of like consultation with like neurologists and psychologists and like real world you know medicine to to like strengthen the metaphors that they were using uh, i agree that abstract thought is an interesting idea but sort of like this tangent narratively ultimately um but like i think a lot of the they they strike a very fine balance between yes. oh this is a pun you know train of thought being the very great example this is a pun and oh this is how real brains work and oh this is like a relatable sort of moment for people experiencing their own minds there's like this delicious trifecta of how they weave those metaphors into being and i think they did a fantastic job with it yeah uh i mean I think I think I I don't want to keep comparing this to Osmosis Jones, but I <laughs> I feel like yeah. Okay, last thing I'm gonna say about this comparison is that they both both of them are clever in their own ways, but I think the abstract thought is an example of how it suffers when it feels like it's not necessarily forced, but just gratuitous. Like we you were you're looking at the intern in the boardroom being like, you know, what would be a great <laughs> idea to put in this movie this and like. In the case of Osmosis Jones, that's literally all that movie stood on, and at least this movie has a coherent plot where it's like, oh, okay, you can kind of forgive it for that. Um, but like in in many ways, I think also Train of Thought, as as you know, as important as it is to the actual progression of the plot, because it's kind of a locomotive device to get to where they need to go. I think it is a little bit kind of a stretch. Like, yes, Train of Thought is like funny because it's an actual train. No, do you, like is the Train of Thought really that? important for you to be able to get to from point a to point b to point c i don't know but that's maybe just my opinion um i will also say that uh i think that the having each of the having having kind of riley's like core memories support her her personality tenets in such a way like goofball island and parenting or family island or whatever and imagination island like I think having those be physical locations and also kind of the way that they crumble and eventually fall into the abyss and whatever is uh, a very cool way of showing, like, as as a kid, you're constantly rebuilding your personality. And, like, in this, in this specific case, it's kind of a very dire thing when each of these islands die. But, like, in a more kind of general sense, like, yeah, kids kind of kids go to movies and download the personality of, like, the main character of that movie so that they can then, like, try and be that person when they go back to school. Like, I, that's a meme, but I think it's really kind of, like, it's kind of, like, an apt thing to do when you're a kid. Um, what I do wish, uh, my, I, well, this is going to be a completely personal opinion, but I think that maybe this probably wouldn't have fit if, um, this probably wouldn't have been as good of a fit for a kid's movie, but I think having the islands fall into abject disrepair instead of completely falling into the abyss and have joy and sadness walk through this, like, post-apocalyptic hellscape area of, like, the ruins of a previous personality island would have been a dark and edgy twist, which is definitely up my alley, so you know how that goes. Something I do want to bring attention to is as if we're talking about, you know, the metaphor of the core memories and the islands, can we just take a second to appreciate how much the phrase core memory has become just part of our modern Absolutely. lexicon? Absolutely. Like, I think I think the idea of a core memory is sort of like one of the most robust, like the one of the most like, like 
sticking, you know, the, the most long-lived, that's what I'm looking for, the most long-lived, like, cultural impacts of this movie, this idea of, oh, this memory, like, gets into the soul of you, and it's like a definition of who you are, and people on the internet use it kind of jokingly, you know, oh, man, that that time I saw, you know, Stranger Things season four is a core memory, you know, I don't know, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm really reaching, you can tell, but, like, the idea of it, I think, is it's really survived far past the context of the movie, and I think that speaks to... I mean, partially just where this exists in, you know, the cultural consciousness and like it's Pixar. And so it was a good movie with a, you know, good budget and good cast and good writing and everything. But also just like, again, it's it speaks to this metaphor about like how I think really just digestible all the the depictions of the working of the brain really are, which I think I think it's it's easy to sort of not give that the credence it deserves. I think that if this movie had, you know, did not have such an approachable, like, metaphor for the framework of the mind, then a lot of it would not have worked nearly as well. Uh, and I just want to praise them for just making it so approachable. All right. We will end it right there. Thank you all for your input. Um, this was, once again, a great movie. I would definitely like to revisit uh, also, Marcus, I have to say to your comment of uh, kids downloading uh, <laughs> media, young Alex would definitely have had a Naruto island in his mind. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, but once again, that'll do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening. This week's animated video that you can watch online is called Sonder by Neth Nam. Uh, Sarah, once again, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Best Seat on the Couch. Uh, your insights are always very much appreciated. We love having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, love. Yeah. And uh, next week, we will be watching... Oh, Sarah, you get a little sneak peek. Uh, we will be watching Pacific Rim, The Black, which is a Netflix original series that Marcus is bringing. Uh, all about Pacific Rim. So I'm excited. Uh, and once again, thank you so much for listening. And you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone.